Uh, let's see, the word today would be a word that is hard. It's encouraging, but it's hard. It's, uh, some, of the, some of the things we're going to talk about today are the hardest things in the world to do, but they're so liberating once you do them. And never get to the place, as you, as you see this, as we go through the Word of God, and you think, I heard this one, I've read this one, I taught this one myself, I've done this one, because you're a different person today, and you've had some new life experiences. And so let's not um, limit God to doing a new thing with us today. Okay, you hear me? You hear what I'm saying? Okay, because it's a good word for me too. So the, the title of the sermon is a question that Jesus is asking of his disciples, but, but who do you say that I am? And that's what we're going to look at today. And this comes right after the passage where he has sent them out. It's been recorded that he sent the disciples out, not when he sent 70 out, but just the 12 out. And he sent them two by two out to go into the villages without him. So up until this point, it's been kind of like about them. He's been with them. He's been teaching them. They've been learning. And they're in a safe place. They, they just do things with Jesus. But now he's like, I'm going somewhere else, and I want you to go out, but you're going to go two by two. Okay, Lord, we'll go. He's asking something of us. He's not going. And he said also, too, I, I, I'm going to give you all authority. Okay, I'm giving you all authority over every demon. That's That's good. I'm giving you all authority for healing. Wow, this is awesome. But now as you go out, I don't want you to take a single walking stick with you. Not a big deal, right? I don't want you to take any, any type of bag with you. Okay, it's not a big deal. I don't want you to take any food with you. I don't want you to take any money with you. And I don't want you to take a change of clothes with you. What you've got is what you've got. Now go on, go out there, and I want you to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal people. That's exactly what he said. So Jesus is now telling them, now you, you got to listen to this with our ears too, because there comes a time and place where he sends us out, okay? And we're post-resurrection. So we're in the position to be sent out, all right? So he sends them out, and they've had great time. They've done stuff. They've, they have stories to tell, and they come back, and they're meeting with Jesus, and he's pulling them away to a quiet place, away from everybody else, so they can have a time of rest, and they can talk. And when you're in ministry, you really never get a time of rest. You don't get a time to talk. And the, the crowd finds out where they are, and they're shuffling out there. They're heading out there. Throngs upon throngs of people are coming out there now, invading this quiet time. And we're going to see what happens. Okay? So let's pray. Father, I praise you. I believe that today you want to tell us a couple of things. Um, one primarily is that you are our source for Everything. Everything. And that you call us and encourage us, even demand of us, to trust in you. We're all called to minister, God. I pray today that you'll work on our hearts, Holy Spirit, and uh, give us minds to understand, uh, ears to hear, uh, hearts to receive, and help us to apply it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so they come back, and we read in Luke, we're in Luke chapter 9. We read in verse 10 through 11, When the apostles returned, they gave an account to Jesus of all that they had done. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. But the crowds were aware of this and followed him. And welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. So this was a great day. It was a great day up until this point. Nothing turns bad, but it was just it was a, it was a good day. Everybody's back. The home team's back. The guys are with the Lord, and he's telling them stuff, and they're all telling these great stories. And can you imagine? They're just waiting like, oh, we, we, we cast out a demon too. 
yeah, yeah, we did that. And um, remember how you told us to shake the dust off our feet if they didn't receive us? We did it. We shook it off and we left. Yeah, you got, you, you, yeah, they didn't let us in either. All these stories that they're telling because they'd been out doing something, so they had some stories to tell. Okay, so it's a good day. And then we read in verse 9, um, chapter 9, verse 12. Now the day was ending. And the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. So the guys are there. They've been out there. They know what it's like to minister. They know what it's to provide, what they're doing. Slide. This is great. I can see now. <laughs> so he sends them out to provide. And um, they've been doing ministry. They're back. All these exciting things are happening, and it comes a point in the day, it's late in the day, and they're like, you know, we just got back, we're supposed to rest anyway, and Jesus entertained them, so Lord, send them away now. Send them away. There's a lot of people. We're going to find out just how many people were there. So they're telling Jesus to send them away, and that's, that's okay to, it's an okay thing to do, right? There comes a time, they care about them, they've got to eat, they've got to find shelter. We're in a, we're in a desolate place. Here we are in a desolate place. Send them away. Okay. Is that fair? Is there anything shocking about that? Okay, so if you were there with Jesus and all these people were here and you just got back and you didn't have my me time with Jesus and all these people were here, they got to eat, it's getting dark, it's time for them to go home, right? You don't, you don't have to go home, but you're going to have to leave. You know, that's sometimes what I say at church. You don't have to go home, but you're going to have to go because we're locking the doors and we got something to do. So that's what the disciples are saying. You don't have to go home, but you have to go. So their need was obvious, and they're in a desolate place. It's deserted, remote, solitary, uninhabited. These are some words for desolate. Later in Scripture, when it's used, there's an implication. In some contexts, it's a forsaken, desolate place. Okay? So I want you to think about this first off as we sit on this slide, that uh, a desolate place. Have you ever been in a desolate place before? Arizona's kind of desolate, isn't it? Yeah, the Grand Canyon's desolate. Um, I've been in some places overseas that were like, <laughs> you really think, gosh, this seems God-forsaken here. You know, I remember flying over a patch of land where it was desolate here, and it's all sand out there. It was an ocean of sand. I'm like, wow, these places really exist. But this was a desolate place, and I want us to think about this as we get drawn into the Scripture, as you allow yourself to be drawn in. Think of some applications. So um, an easy one, have you ever been in a financially desolate place? Yeah, okay, that's not pleasant, is it? You don't know how you're going to pay for stuff. You don't know how you're going to pay your bills. You don't know how you're going to take care of this need and take care of that need. You've been there before? Okay, those who have been there before knows that it can be a kind of a scary place, right? Yeah, and you're like, I don't know, I'm going to have to start to cut, trim the fat here, start get rid of some stuff. That can be desolate. But what about when you've been in a relationally desolate place? I would say last year, a lot of us were in relationally desolate places, right? There were some people that were just, it was just me, myself, and I in their apartment or their house, not getting out and going around. You know, some of you um, have been through desolate places in relationships where the person you decided to invest your love, your time, your energy, your gifts, your heart in left you and left you in a desolate place. And that's, that's a bad place to be in, isn't it? You know, it's, it's a scary place to be in, and it's heartbreaking, and it, the clock just ticks a lot slower when you're in that kind of desolate place. Even in school right now, the kids are able to go back to school 
but they're not really getting to do what they used to do. So they can go in a classroom and, and sit in a desk and not be able to interact with anybody. And we're thinking of making all these friends, but school's almost kind of a desolate place also, right? All right, and how about spiritually? You ever been in a spiritually desolate place? I, I have been in spiritually desolate places, okay? Um, maybe a fault of my own. Maybe I got away from God. Maybe God said it's a time of testing for you. Uh, they always say the teacher's silent during the test. So sometimes we're put out in a desolate place. Maybe God called us to be there. But to be in a spiritually desolate place is to feel a void and to feel alone. And when you're a Christian, that's a challenging thought. Is it not, some of you? When you're like, I believe in Jesus. I do. I've been serving him. I've been trusting him a long time, but I'm feeling like I'm in kind of a desolate place spiritually. That's a good thing because when you're in that place, you'll start seeking God with all your heart, right? Okay, with all of your heart. Okay, so they, they're like, send them away, God. Send them away. They got to eat. Verse 13. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. Could you imagine that? You, you give them something to eat. And they said, I'm just going to read it straight. I'm sure they had some attitude. I'm going to go back on this. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. All right, can you imagine um, if it had been one of us, Jesus telling you, feed them, said, we've got no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we, we go to town and we buy food. I wouldn't talk to Jesus that way, would you? <laughs> if we spoke our words, that's how that sounds sometimes of what we're thinking when he tells us to do something. They're like, we, we, we don't have what you're asking us to do. Don't be silly, Jesus. My God would never ask that of me. Well, the God I believe in would never ask me to do that. Well, he just asked him a pretty preposterous thing, right? How many syllables is that? And I said it without spraying it. He's saying, you give them something to eat. And they're like, we, we don't have anything to give them to eat unless perhaps we go buy food. So now we're talking about resources. Now, all of you know about resources, right? We talked about relationships. We talked about finances. We talked about your spiritual gas tank. Okay, so have you ever been out of resources? Some of you in here today and you are out of resources. And so you kind of stopped on the trail and you're like taking a break. I'm going to sit down here for a little while, Lord, because I'm out of resources. I'm out of steam. I'm out of energy. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. You feed them. So that means you've got to get back up, right? And you've got to ask yourself, if I'm out of all these resources in the natural and he's still calling me to love those he has given me, to take care of them, to minister his name, to go out and share the name of Jesus, then something's got to give in my way of thinking, right? Something's got to give in your way of thinking when you think you've got no more. We're, we're kind of on the backside. You know, we're, we're the backside of what happened last year. This is a new year. We got to stop having excuses for why we're not doing something. And we're going to see here today... He's calling us to do something. And I think maybe that's part of what the word is today. And our normal resources that we would rely on, we found out we never really had them anyway. But we've got enough. We've got resources we didn't even know about in Jesus. I speak the name of Jesus. And you start to look at these things. Verse 14 to 15. And he said to his disciples, get this now. He said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. 
they did so and had them all sit down. It's like, what's the big deal? Why is he saying pay attention? You see now that Jesus is no longer taking everybody to take a seat. You, groups of 50, my beloved children, groups of, no. He told who to feed them? He told the disciples to feed them. He's telling us to feed them. And he's telling them, you have them sit down in groups of 50. So the disciples now, uh, he's not going to do it. They listen to him. They're not going to listen to us. He, He said to do it. Just go ahead and do it. So they go around and... We're going to get to the numbers in a minute. We know there are at least 5,000 men. And how many disciples are there? Twelve. So we don't have any excuse about how little our church is, right? Okay. Youngtown has got us outnumbered. There's like 7,000 people in Youngtown. And you look around, we're outnumbered. Okay. But no excuse there. It starts to make the, uh, the challenge more fun, right? So he directs them and they direct the people. And they all sit down in groups of 50. And this speaks something to do with organization. It's all not just a free-for-all, is it? You know, everybody, sometimes you got to sit down and shut up, right? And this is kind of a sit down and shut up moment. It doesn't say tell them to be quiet, but this is a time of organization because something's going to be done. So we have to be organized, and someone's got to be in charge. And people dictate, and then they work together, and they had them sit down in groups of 50. And I think there's a social element to here that no one gets left out. You know, it didn't say have them just sit down, and then she's left over here, he's left over there. He wants to be included. She doesn't want to be included. But he says, have them sit down in groups of 50. They're doing this together. Do you think there's something to that? No man, no woman gets left out. So he has them sit down. Then Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. Where did he get those from? Do you guys? A little boy got them. And I was really, I, I got a kick out of one of the commentaries. I was thinking when I read that, I said, Mama packed somebody lunch that day. That's what I was thinking. And then as one of the, when the commentary said, oh, a mother's heart. Yeah, you know, Mama packed somebody. Here, take this with you. I don't need it. Take it with you. So he takes the food. He's the only one. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus did. And looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, 12 baskets full. Okay? So now we get to the numbers. They've got five loaves, two fish, 5,000 men plus women and children. It's very likely they had 10,000 people there. If every man had a woman or child with him or more, there's at least 10,000 people. Could you imagine that? That's a lot of people. Five loaves and two fish. And we think we don't have anything to share right? I don't have the words, Lord. I don't have the experience. Uh, I don't have the money. I don't have this. Or I don't have that. Mm-mm. No excuse zone, right? Okay. So he told him to do this. He takes what they have. He looks up to heaven and he blesses it. So he takes their resource. It is only five loaves and two fish, but he takes that. He directs his attention to the father, to heaven, and he blesses it and he breaks it and it says, and he kept giving them to the disciples. What did that look like? You know, we had a potluck one time when we ran out of food and somebody found two more pots in the kitchen. You remember that? We're like, woo, woo, there's two more. Is it a, it, no, it wasn't you know, a potluck. It was a Christmas thing. We're feeding Youngtown like 300 people. And, you know, I get the word, we're out, we're out of soup. And then somebody goes and finds two things of soup. We're like, yes. Just a little foretaste of what it could be. 
And he sets it before the people and everybody eats. Nobody was like, everybody ate until they're all satisfied. Now this miracle is recorded, this is the only one that's recorded four times. All four gospels got it. It's the only miracle recorded four times. So there's something that we need to hear in this, right? Okay. It reminds me, Corey Timboom said, let God's promises shine on your problems. Okay. Let God's promises shine on your problems. You got problems here today? <laughs> you know you do. We could go down the line. We could start here. We could just say, let's just call a whole day off. We're staying right here. Let's hear your promise, uh, your problems. You start. No. No, I ain't got no problems. You're a liar. <laughs> so let God's promises shine on your problems. So here's a lesson. We're going to take a break right here. A lesson on this. What to do when you have a problem. Okay. When you find yourself in a desolate place and in need of something from the Lord, the first thing you do today, whatever your problem is, okay, you, you, you know and God knows right now what your problem is, or problems, you take inventory. First of all, what do I have? What do I have? Okay, you're in need of a job, take inventory. What do you have? You're seeking a relationship. You're, taking, you're looking for friends. What do I have? Take inventory of where you're at. You want to serve in ministry? What do I have? What do I start with? And sometimes the answer is like, I got nothing, right? You know? You know, if I, I say, um, Roger asked me to serve on worship team, like, no, I got nothing. <laughs> I got a voice. I could start there. He's going to think I'm hinting again. <laughs> sometimes some things aren't for you to do, right? But there are things for us to do. There are things out there that you have to do. You, men, you must love your wife like Christ loves the church. And we're selfish people. I think men are by far worse than women when it comes to just being, what's the word of the day, Neanderthals? Was that last week? We can be kind to Neanderthal, but that doesn't give us an excuse. We still have to love our wives like Christ loves the church, and that's hard to do. Okay? Not because of them, but because of us. But you take, what are your resources? Well, I talk to people every day. I know how to be polite to people at work. You know, I know how to ask people for help whenever I'm at work or whatever I'm doing. Why can't I treat my wife the same way? You know? Treat her, first off, like you do others. Maybe that's just a step in the right direction for some, right? Some ladies like... <laughs> that was certainly me at one time. She'd be like, oh, Lord. I hope he's listening. And we're not going to pick on you, but you ladies got to do the same thing, right? Which can be really hard. But you look at your resources, what you do have, not instead of what you don't have. A lot of times when we get a vision, when we get a hope, uh, we want to do something, feel Jesus is calling us to do something. We got a quick list of what we don't have or why we can't do it. You, you guys know what I'm talking about? Well, I don't have the time for that. Oh, yeah, ask the Holy Spirit to do an evaluation of how you spend your time during the day. You'll be like, ah, maybe, I, maybe I do have the time for that. Let's take a look at it, Lord. But go ahead and take an evaluation of what you have already. Give it to God, just like Jesus did. He took the stuff that they had, the little tiny bit of stuff, and he lifted it up to heaven, and he blessed it. So we take our time, we lift it up to heaven. We take our resources, our, our, our relational resources, our life experiences, our gifts, our talents, whatever they are, or lack thereof, and we lift it up to heaven. And we ask God to bless it. 
And then he starts to pass it out. There's a scripture, Philippians 4.19, that says, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in your 401. (laughs) My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in your N95 respirator mask. (laughs) That's kind of funny. It's relevant, right? We wish you'd be more relevant. Well, there you go. Um, my God will supply all your needs in your marriage according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think if we took an evaluation back in the day on some things we messed up, we, we could have avoided those things and maybe not messed up or protected ourselves from having things get messed up. But what are under the bridge, right? As every day is a new day and God's a God of mercy. Last week we learned that a father of mercies, right? And God of all comfort. So he'll supply all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Does that mean this church is limited from doing um, something with each other and in the community? No. Yeah. He, he's going to help us. So 9, 18, and 19. So that scene kind of ends. All this runs together, okay? So it's going to build. It's kind of layered here. And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say I am? They answered and said, uh, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old has risen. I find it kind of funny when it says, it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. Do you, do you catch something odd in that? He's praying alone and they're like, hey Jesus, pray for me about this. Will you pray? Anyway, Jesus is praying alone. Another old tell in ministry. Jesus is praying alone. They're with him. And then he turns to them and questions them. He said, who do the people say that I am? He's just done remarkable things amongst them, right? He's fed them. They were getting healed. And it's the people he's addressing. The the people. Who Who do they say that I am? Now think about that right now. Who do the people, not you all, who do the people say that he is? Uh, Some say Jesus is a liar, he's a lunatic, he's a myth. He's a good man. He's a good man. Oh no, he's much more than that. He is good. But who do the people today say that he is? They're saying all kind of crazy things out there, right? They're saying all kind of stuff out there. And sometimes we can get persuaded to start to believe it after a while, or at least it kind of lackens our, our faith in him. Now, don't start shaking your head getting all concerned with me, because when Satan says, let me threaten his skin and see how he responds. And when we're personally threatened, sometimes our words are saying one thing, but our actions are doing another. And he said, who do the people say that I am? These are people they had heard personally Jesus teach, They had seen him perform miracles. Some were even healed by him. Think about that. They were all there. Some were even healed. They definitely had knowledge of Jesus, and some had firsthand experience of what he could do, and yet they still did not get him. They said, "Uh, he's John the Baptist. Well, that's stupid, right? John's dead at this point. John was beheaded. It's John the Baptist. It's Elijah. Well, if they're familiar with Scripture, we know why they thought that. So they get some credit for that one, okay? And then one of the prophets back from the dead. Really? Really? You know? Today we don't even come up with stupid things out in the world. They just dismiss Jesus. Okay? Now, we know too that God had not given them revelation yet of who he is. 
But they were still going off on some fantastical routes. And people will do that today. I saw a book the other day. It was on the Samson myth. I'm like, what? And it was about relationships and all, what we can learn from the Samson myth. I'm like, well, I'm not even... (laughs) Throw that in the trash. But the people do that with Jesus too, okay? So they asked them, who do the people say that I am? Now, how would they know that? They would know that because they were with the people. So you can tell... Uh, me, if I asked you, and I'm not going to, but if I asked you, who do the people, who do your classmates say that Jesus is? Who do the people you work with say that Jesus is? Who do your neighbors say that Jesus is? Who do your family members say that Jesus is? Well, if we're rubbing shoulders with somebody, these things come up, and if we've been uh, representing Jesus, we're probably going to know who they say Jesus is, right? Is that, is that fair? Okay. So, Jesus asked them this question, but then here comes the big one. Verse 19, 20 And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? That's that's interesting, isn't it? That that one can fall on us today. Just kind of fall on us today. But who do you you say that I am? I know who you said I was two years ago, but today, who do you say that I am? Am I just a, a prophet, a provider, a teacher? Who, who is Jesus in your life? And he's going to take it much deeper than this. His words, not mine. Okay? He's going to take it much deeper. But think about that. Today, Jesus asks you. This is a good question. Now, if you feel a little cringy, that's good too. That means he's touching on that, that spot. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. I love that. You know, Peter probably like, boom, he's the Christ of God. Have, have you been in that place in your past when you're around someone who's, um, maybe they've been a Christian longer than you or they're more, more into it than you were and they can bolt out an answer like that. They can sing a song and they're, mm, and you're like, I want to be like that. You weren't dare going to say a word, but you see that in somebody and you're like, I want to be like that. I want to be like Peter. Well, you can be like Peter. Peter answered, said, you're the Christ of God. F.F. Bruce said, in a God-given moment of insight, Peter realizes that Jesus is the Messiah. God has turned on the lights for Peter. He's given him revelation, and he now knows who Jesus is. From this moment now on, the teaching becomes much more somber in tone from Jesus. For they must learn that Jesus was not going to fulfill their expectations as a conquering warrior and a political figure delivering them from Roman occupation. They have to see who he really is. But rather, as a suffering Messiah prophesied by Isaiah, where it's written, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. And as we continue, we understand that Jesus began to impress upon the disciples what lay ahead of them. There is no, um, there's no gospel here about everything's going to be Sunshine and ponies, is it? Well, let's throw in some rainbows too. Rainbows and ponies and a little bit of glitter for everybody, right? You got those moments. There's those moments in the kingdom of God, but life here on planet earth isn't always glitter, rainbows, ponies. Okay, it can be quite hard. Verse 21, 22, but Jesus warned them and instructed them not to tell anyone, saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. 
I don't like that message. Give us something a little more positive. Times are hard right now. This is a good word for times like this right now. Because there is nothing we're going through that, that even compares to what he went through. And at this time, they were in a place of maturity where they were ready to receive this. Jesus said, I'm going to take you now to a deeper level of what it is to be one of my followers. And he told them what they're going to face. And he threw in Son of Man. What book is that from? Don't make me cry. Daniel. Yeah, we just spent a whole series on Daniel. So the Son of Man, he's identifying with, I am, I'm the Son of Man. I am the Messiah. And then he tells them this thing that we call today the messianic secret. He says, don't tell anybody. Isn't that something? Are you intrigued by that at all? That they have identified Jesus as the Messiah, and he tells them that is correct, and he says, don't tell anyone. <laughs> Every book, again, you line up all the commentaries, and they call it the messianic secret because they don't know. They don't know why he told them that. But there are some reasons why some, sometimes we think, well, would he got too crazy in the ministry? Just, just too many people pouring in. Well, I don't know. They were already pouring in. Um, it could have been that the information could have been badly used either by his friends or his enemies. Okay? Um, if the apostles began preaching that Jesus was the Messiah, it might cause a popular uprising against Rome and obstructed Jesus' ministry. They would have been ahead of the game. And they would have gotten in the way of what was supposed to happen. Have you ever been doing that sometimes? You're doing ministry and the person you're with like rushes in too quick. And you're like, oh, slow down. Slow down, camper. Huh? My wife and I were doing that one time with somebody, and we're trying to build a relationship, and they were like, boom. And it was like, you're like, mm -hmm. But he didn't want them to get ahead of the game and obstruct what he's doing. Possibly it just wasn't time yet. Because, I mean, that makes the most sense, right? God has a time when he's going to do what he's going to do, and it was not that time yet for him to be revealed in that way. So he has trusted them with information. In this sense, he's telling them, don't tell. He's trusted us with information, and he said, do tell. Okay? All right. And he was saying to them all, here we go. You guys ready? Sit up. Buckle in your seatbelt. If it gets too bad, oxygen will drop from the ceiling. You may remove your mask at that time and place it on. Okay? Here's what he says to them. Okay? I am the Messiah. I am and if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself or say herself? Now, who in this room, if you say Jesus is Messiah, is excused from doing this? If anybody's uh, physically incapacitated in some way, are they excused? Do they get a pass? Okay. If, um, if you're 13 years old and you've said Jesus is my Savior, do you get a pass from this? If you're retired and you've lived a long, hard life and you're sitting back trying to get your chill on, are you excused from this? Nobody is. So Jesus says, I am the Messiah, and if you were to follow me, here's what you got to do. Okay, so this is, this is the big splash of cold water on everybody. Me too. Splashes back on me, okay? I like this guy, Kevin Zubar. He called it the four D's. For you taking notes, you'll like this. Four D's. Desire, denial, dedication, and direction. Okay? So if you call Jesus 
your Lord, your Savior, your Messiah. You believe he's God. He died for your sins, resurrected from the dead. You were following after him. I'm a Christian. I believe in God. Okay. Then these four D's apply to us. Okay. First one is desire. Jesus is saying, if, if you claim me as Messiah, your desire will be for me. And I expect nothing less. He is the number one desire. It's not your wife. It's not your kids. It's not your job. It's not your hobby. It's not your goals in life. He is numero uno. He is your desire. So this is the time when the Holy Spirit will work with us and start asking you, today, this place that you've arrived at, is Jesus still your number one desire? Or have some other things, has life brought in some other things as it so craftily does? to get our hearts. So is Jesus your number one desire? And I have to ask myself the same thing. Is he my number one desire? No matter how old or young you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter your physical health, no matter your brokenness today, is Jesus your number one desire? If he is, then he expects from you self-denial. He expects from me self-denial. Okay, this is the word of God, right? Okay. The disciple must practice denial of self. He said, if anyone wishes to follow after me, he or she must deny himself or herself. So, okay. If you desire to follow after Jesus, then everybody in here get in line to deny self. There's some things we have not been denying ourselves of, right? We, I'm not saying you, we, which includes me. But we have to deny ourselves of some things. And sometimes we want to get in a whole legalistic thing about that. And I'm not even going to list anything. Okay, let, the, let God talk to you about that. But you know when you're pursuing hard after something and it requires you deny yourself, you're going to deny yourself. Okay? So he's saying, if you desire to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. And then he calls for dedication. It's not enough just to deny yourself. You can be a denier of self that just kind of floats in the pool of church and has pushed me over there. Could you push me over there? But he wants dedication too. Jesus is asking us of the church of 2021, the disciple must be dedicated to God, taking up your cross daily. Oh, we need to hear this again, don't we? And this is an encouragement. This isn't a slapdown. This is an encouragement, a reminder of who he is and who we are. If we say that he's Messiah, we desire him, we deny ourselves, and we dedicate ourselves to him. He wants your dedication. Now, that's, that's, that's flattering, isn't it? You know, he's like, I want your dedication. Jesus wants your dedication. He's not like, give me your dedication. Look at me. He's like, I want your dedication. Because he knows what's best, and he knows that. Okay? Paul echoed this. Paul said, I die daily okay and then he told the 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 galatians i've been crucified with christ it is no longer i who live but christ who lives in me the life i live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself up for me it'd be a time to ask ourselves today did i have i been crucified with christ sometimes our words and our actions reveal Maybe we just got one hand nailed and we got the other one over here behind our back. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Wow, what a promise of that. 
to deny ourselves and he's going to fill us with himself. Christ living in us. Desire, denial, dedication, and then direction. The disciple must accept direction from God. He said, and follow me. So it goes back to the beginning. He sent them out. They were with him. He was teaching them. He was showing them all this, this, this incredible things about the kingdom of God. And he said, now I want you to go out and do it. They go out and do it. They come back and they're like, wow, it, it actually worked. We actually did something. We told people about you and they were receiving us. They were listening. They were following after him. All the other people came in. They're following after him because they saw who Jesus was and they were desiring. They wanted to be fed and healed and all these things and they're following hard after him. And that's what he's asking of us today, to follow hard after him. And this is not a matter of works. It's not you can do these things and you're good with God. You, you do these things because he's good. And he, he's worthy and taste and see that he is good. But you don't want to mess around with your life toying with God with one foot in the church and one foot out. Listening to what the world tells you and following the world, listening to what the enemy tells us and following the enemy when it's like you could let go of me, let go of me. And you could be free to receive Christ and all that he's got for us. And because you're denying self, it's not going to be probably what you were looking for. Okay? Anybody attest? Anybody got a witness in here? Okay, yeah. That is true. It may not be what you wanted, but it's going to be so much better. Okay? So, we're not done yet, but ask you, we'll leave you here. Does your life look like this? Okay? Desire, denial, dedication, direction. Here I am, Lord, send me. If, if you don't want me to go there, then don't let me. Here I am, Lord, send me in the direction you want me to go. And if your life doesn't look like this, if you call Jesus your Messiah, your Savior, your Lord, why is that? What's gotten in the way that you aren't looking like this today? Okay. Verse 26, 27, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here today who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Could it be that you have held back, that I've held back at times publicly in situations because we don't want to be ashamed when we identify with Jesus? You know, the cross was a very shameful thing back in that day. That meant you've done something wrong. You've been counted worthy of condemnation, and you're going to die. You're not even worth the breath of life anymore. So you're dying. It was a shameful thing. And sometimes maybe we get to that place when we're in a public setting or we're around somebody, it could just be one other person, and something happens where you have that moment where you know you can say something or not say something or do something, but as soon as you do, you're identifying with Jesus and they're going to be like pushing you back. It's a hard line to take. It's a hard thing to swallow, but he said, whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of him or her. And I know none of us want that, so that's why we need to revisit this and hear it, right? So when we have that opportunity, we think about, I don't want you to be ashamed of me, Lord. There's no shame in this. Daryl Bach had this statement, I love it. He said, with Jesus, there's no doubt about one's fate. So when we're getting this today, we realize, with Jesus, you got the golden ticket. With Jesus... You're there. You are going. And there is no doubt about it. You know, we still have people in church that come. And they're like, I just hope. 
I hope when I get there, the good outweighs the bad. I've heard that so many times. Uh, well, your good ain't going to outweigh your bad. Okay, you're in trouble. But with Jesus, with the blood of Jesus Christ, you're already there. Now, I hope you get, I hope you get 95, Mary Grant, 100 years. I hope you get that. If you don't, it's already done. It's done. So we, we got to get a kingdom of God mindset. So when we're here, we don't listen to that relative or this person or that co-worker or whomever. We don't shy away. We don't avoid speaking of him. We don't avoid trusting him for provision. Think about that. You are already have a residence in the kingdom of God. You've, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You're there. You're there. Now, you're still stuck here in the ghetto, okay? You ever look around the world sometimes what God meant it to be and what we've done with it? We made it so dirty in so many different ways, okay? But it, it, it's done. We don't have to live that anyway. You ever seen somebody with confidence that's not dressed for confidence? Maybe they don't have the haircut for confidence. Maybe they don't have the job for confidence, but they got confidence. You know, I, I like being around a person like that. We could be those people, you know? We're following hard after Jesus. We're open to his spirit inside of us. And then this other stuff can, can melt away. It's still going to be here, but we can deal with it differently, right? And now don't get away from the fact, too, as we look at this. He was now telling them, your turn. you got to do something now. So that's for us. If, if we're just sitting in the church, if we're just coming on Sundays or not, or, or just whatever, we all have to be doing something. Now, that something doesn't need to be what you did at your last church. It doesn't have to involve a tent. It doesn't even have to be VBS. You know, we got to get out of those mindsets now because the world's changing on us. I've been so encouraged by hearing stories from you guys individually where you've been at your workplaces or in the house and things you've come, these conversations you're getting in. And, you know, you talk to somebody at your workplace or, or wherever at the hospital that we'll, we'll never meet and we'll never see, but you touch them. You didn't deny Christ. You, you may not have had some, like, Billy Graham, all the nurses ran from the nurse's station and they're all listening to you, you know. <laughs> But you were there in the moment, and you, you, you profess Christ. You, know? you, you acknowledge God. You give God the glory. And that, that is not a hard thing to do, right? We're already citizens of the kingdom, and we can start talking like that without being ashamed. I'm telling you what, the world's going to tell us, sit down, get in the back of the line, and shut up. We'll deal with you in a little bit. But are you that person with confidence like, mm, no, no, i got a spirit of God in me. Jesus Christ died for me. And he's waiting on me. He's got a place for me. No, 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 no. You don't dictate what I do. The Lord tells me what to do. And I take, let me tell you about the Lord. You know the Lord. Go around, turn the tables back on them. So Jesus exhorts his disciples not to be ashamed of the Son of Man. The mention of shame reveals Jesus' concern about the persecution that will come to those who identify with him. In ancient Middle Eastern culture, personal shame was to be avoided at all cost. Well, we're no different than ancient Middle Eastern culture, right? Don't you feel like that's not a shame to be avoided at all costs? You know, at all costs. I want to avoid the shame. Is it any really different today? Okay. And it all sounds pretty heavy, and it is, but he ends on, in this passage, as we've separated it, the kingdom of God. And that's a high note, right? It ends on a good note. Okay. So Jesus asks you a question today. All that's going on. All that went on last year, all that's going on in your household, all that's going on at your job, all that's not going on in your bank account, 
all that's not going on in your health and your body. Jesus asks each one of us, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter where you live or what you do, he asks you today, but who do you say that I am? Okay? And how do you answer him today? Well, prophet, ancient man, <laughs> do-gooder, religious guy, or my Savior, my Messiah, my Messiah. Imagine right now, I know as I stand here and say this, that he is listening. And as we sit there, and he knows your hearts, and we sit there and say, who do you say that I am? Like, <laughs> you're my Lord, you're my Savior. Oh, you are faithful. You are my provider. You are my healer. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, you're everything to me. I did need a wake-up call, God. I was getting hit by the waves a little too much. This way and that way, I got some water up my nose. Got some sand in my shorts. I needed to crawl out of the surf a minute and remember, you are Savior. Okay, you're Savior. So that means no matter what comes our way next, be it today, tomorrow, April, May, whatever it is. He is Jesus. He's the Son of Man. He's the Messiah. We are to desire Him. We're to deny ourselves. We're going to have opportunity for that. Okay? Dedicate ourselves to Him and look for direction from Him. Check yourself today. Go home and pray about this. Take a walk and pray about it. The direction you've been going in, is it possible that that's not the direction God wanted you to go in? And he's going to tell you, and he's going to let you know. I'm not going to go into details, but last week I had preached on God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, which is encouragement. I believe that with all my heart. I poured that out to you. I feel vulnerable when I do that and say it because you may not see it. And um, I felt immediately empty Sunday after preaching. Monday was worse. Tuesday was worser. I know there's no such word. <laughs> Tuesday and Wednesday were worser. I had a conversation with my wife on Thursday night in our bedroom, and I said, you know what? I believe everything I stood there and said. I believe he's an encourager, but he's not encouraging me right now. I just need to hear something from him. I believe it's true. He's the father of mercies and God of all encouragement. And then encourage me. Why not me? And I'll tell you what, I'm not going to tell the story. That's a private story. I told my family. He encouraged me in a way that blew my socks off. He encouraged me in a way that put me on the floor. In a way that no one ever could have manipulated. I, I, like I said, some things are too private to even share. <laughs> But I'm telling you, he is so real. And what we're standing here and talking about on Sundays and you're doing in your home groups and you're doing at home in your private time and all, it is so real and so good. Be reminded today, his promises are all amen in Jesus Christ. Okay? All right, so I'm going to invite Roger up right now. We have uh, time here that if you want to pray today, if you want to come up and um, ask God, you know, a little pilot light's been going out. Light that fire in me again, God. Show me how. Show me how to desire you more. Uh, show me how to deny myself where I need to deny myself, where I don't need to deny myself, God. Put me on the path of truth. If you want that today, come up here and pray. I'll be glad to pray with you. If you want to intercede for somebody, okay, we've been hearing each, each passage we've been looking at lately, I haven't been handpicking these. Prayer, 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 and more prayer. 
Okay? So now's your time. Now's the place. This is a chance for the power of God and the Holy Spirit to do life-changing things inside of you and those around you. Okay? I'm going to pray for Roger. Okay? Father, I thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you that you, there comes a time when we got to get off your lap and we got to head out. And you know we don't want to do that and we struggle. I thank you that you're telling us today that you've got it covered. You're speaking to each of us in our hearts, whatever our problem is, wherever our doubt, wherever our suspicion, wherever we're trying to pull away, that you have abundant resources and we just need to trust in you. Now, that's a, a wide thing for all of us as I intercede praying for everybody, God. But I do ask that we can open up our luggage and let you look through it, God. And we pray for your help. We want to change, Jesus. We want to be walking in your power. We want to be doing like the disciples were doing. And we want to follow after you. We don't, we don't want to do it if you're not telling us to do it. I thank you, Jesus. As, as Eve prayed today, Lord, I thank you, 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 Jesus. To yours be all the glory, and we praise you for what's to come. In your name we pray, amen.